There's a word from the Lord this morning. It is found in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. I'm going to read two versions this morning. The New Living Translation and also the Amplified. Brother and, brothers and sisters, when trouble of any kind comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when you, your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. The Amplified. Consider it nothing but joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into various trials. Be assured that, your, that the testing of your faith through experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And let endurance has it, have its perfect, perfect result and doing a thorough work so that you may be perfect and complete, developed in your faith, lacking nothing. Let endurance have its perfect results and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and complete, developed in your faith, lacking nothing. In this mighty little book, James, has relentlessly dealt with the major issues of life head on, one after another. James identifies the key problems in the Christian's walk and then clearly explains the solution. We're often looking for solutions, right, to our questions. No matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have worked to put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family and successful in our careers, something inevitably goes wrong. Suffering is only unbearable if you aren't sure that God is with you and for you. Oh, let me say that again. Suffering is only unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. Amen. I'm going to talk, teach, and preach from the subject, don't give up on God because God won't give up on you. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm in that place where I'm about ready to give up. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I've struggled long enough. I've had uh, my issues for so long. So I just stopped by this morning to encourage somebody not to give up. Don't give up when your labor, you labor in obscurity and you wonder how much it even matters. Don't give up when your reputation is being damaged because you're trying to be faithful to Jesus. Don't give up when the devil's fiery darts of doubt begin to find your flesh and make you real. The Bible says that my grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in weakness and therefore I will boast all of the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of God might rest upon me. Don't give up. 
when the field the Lord has assigned you to is hard and the harvest doesn't look promising, don't give up. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. Don't give up when the pressures of life seem to be relentless. But as a servant of God, we are commended, commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardship, calamities, beatings, imprisonment, riots, labor, sleepless nights, and hunger. Don't give up when waiting on God seems endless. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall of exhaustion. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They should run and not be weary, and they should walk and not faint. Giving up on God is not even all right. When we are tempted to quit doing what is right, when we are tempted to giving up on God, we have no more right to give up on God than a child has at disobeying their parents. It is anything but what is expected by God and ourselves. In fact, we have no right to feel that we are doing anything but our duty. God has called us as believers, as Christians, to become, become mature and complete as the first fruit of all of his creation. This is such a high calling, so valuable for us to gain, that we should consider every trial along the way as pure joy. The primary focus of trials in James's letter is not that Christians are the only ones ever being persecuted. Nor is this letter intended to give comfort to those uh, who, are, uh, who are suffering because of the consequences of their own sin. He means hardships and sufferings that we encounter when we are following the Lord Jesus Christ. James will explicitly include poverty as one of these many trials. He is uh, particularly has in mind the trial of being persecuted as a consequence as one's faith in Christ. And so James is inviting us to envision ourselves in a state of maturity. We are to rid ourselves of jealousy, laziness, impulsiveness, impatience, bitterness, self-pity, selfishness, and how that damages our wholesomeness in our fellowship with God and with others. He is calling us. I have a question to ask you this morning. Do you hunger for righteousness? Do you long to be fully the person that God desires you to be? Then you have full reason for considering it pure joy for whatever trial you might be facing of any kind. James' vision is this. For spiritual victory to be faced clearly and courageously. He honestly believes that in the very midst of painful trials in our lives, there is a definite basis for joy. It is one's goal to become mature in Christ. And if that isn't truly our goal, then it is a far higher goal and more valuable than avoiding hardship then indeed consider it then an opportunity in the midst of trials to have joy. That is our treasured goal. 
I hear your crossroads. I do. I hear you already. Look, Pastor Jeff, seriously now, come on, Pastor Jeff. Are you really saying to me that we are to consider it joy when we receive unjust treatment? Is there, is, is there any realistic reason for joy when I am seriously ill? In the midst of a financial crisis, even a life of poverty without hopes of improvement? Is that what you're really asking me? I want you to know I'm not asking you a thing. First of all, that's James. And so James said, so James is saying, look, even in the, in the pressures on your job that weigh on you day after day, that you are to consider, a, consider it a time of joy. In the midst of huge sorrow within family burdens, in a bad marriage, a child in trouble, James is even including these. James has an earnest need to be heard and to be understood. With this very direct question he raises, he's really asking you if you desire quality faith in yourself, then he is talking to you. If you're cool right where you are, continue to struggle with the things you are struggling with and you are comfortable in that, then James ain't talking to you. It is his desire, it should be our desire in our hearts to live by faith and to be a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ in patience, steadfastness, faithful desire. Then James says, I want you to hear me this morning because now you have a reason to rejoice in the midst of trials. Because these trials provide an opportunity for testing that will develop us to have a quality faith. Watch this. The kind of faith that moves us from stop worrying to start trusting. The quality faith that stops us from withdrawing and start ministering. To stop selfishness and start godliness. If you are having anxiety over your current trials, it would be precisely the wrong course of action according to James. The spiritual reality calls for joy, an opportunity for us to learn perseverance. When is it ever, my brother Steve, appropriate for a believer to give up on God? Has God sent out an official notice under his authority for us to stop doing our duty? Has the dinner bell rung? Is it time to quit? Isn't it our understanding that we are to put our hands to the plow? In fact, Scripture says, but Jesus told them anyone who puts their hands to the plow and then look back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. When we are tempted to give up, then we need to immediately make ourselves available to the exceeding great promises, the precious promises of God that has been specifically designed to help us in our times of testing. It says it this way in 2 Peter 1 and 4, because of his glory and his excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. And these are promises that enable us to share in his divine nature and to escape the world's corruption caused by human design. The Bible says that if you trust in your own heart, you are a fool, but whomsoever walks wisely shall be delivered. 
We don't always know what we should do. We don't always know how we ought to do. That's why we need a little help, a little assistance called the Holy Ghost. It comes to help us do what God says we can do, what we are able to do. And we would not be successful until God intervenes. And so he puts his spirit within us that causes us to walk in his many statues and that we shall keep all of his commandments and do them. Don't be robbed of joy by supposing that trials are not a suitable context to apply this passage. Start looking for the spiritual dynamics. In particular, look for the test in the midst of the trial. See, sometimes when stuff comes in our life, sometimes it happens for a reason. And if we don't get ourselves in a position, we might miss what God wants to teach us. See, I've been in situations before and I said, Lord, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know even how I got here. But Lord, I don't want to miss what you had for me in the midst of this thing. Because I know something in here, God, where you can be glorified and honored even if it's painful to my flesh. In this first chapter of the biblical text, we find the purposes of James' letter. He is calling up on Christians to live with moral urgency, with a serious holiness, unconditional obedience to God's word. We are to have complete confidence and reliance upon what we've already sung about this morning, which is God's grace. James, in his earnest and moral call for purity, is taught in the first 18th, 18 verses of this chapter. He's teaching us that through God's purity, watch this, who is never tempted, never tempting, and never changing. It is a call for holiness. It is a call for God to genuinely, generously give us wisdom without finding fault giving us a crown of life, giving us every good and perfect gift that comes from him, giving us a new birth, and that's a call for holiness. Going back to the very beginning of James' message, for this pursuit of holiness is not an oppressive burden, but a task of joy, because the great joy is the goal of God's grace, then he has made it available for us. Listen in the text. James is writing to the 12 tribes of Israel. It seems likely that this letter was written to Jewish Christians who were being dispersed because they were being persecuted. And so James writes this letter as a pastor to a scattered flock who were enduring hardships. And it's James's desire that they know the purpose to which God in Christ has called them and how to deal with the various trials in, in, that they encounter in their life and to live as Christians in a broken and sinful world. And so here it is, listen, in verse 2. Brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, watch this. Strange for us. Consider it an opportunity for pure joy. Ah, uh, James is telling his readers to look for the deeper meaning. 
especially when you're in the midst of your trial. He said, keep looking for the spiritual realities of the circumstances because what you'll find out is more about yourself and more about God, that he is faithful to his word, that he'll never leave us or forsake us, that we are never alone in the midst of our struggles, that God is always there. It might be hard and it looked dark sometimes as the pressures of the world begin to close in on your life. But James says, consider it an opportunity for joy. In the Greek, charon is translated as all joy or pure joy. James is instructing us to make a more objective judgment and how to consider it joy. The reason he doesn't use the word happiness because happiness might mislead the believer or his readers. See, if he used the word happiness, it might suggest that we are to live a carefree life and be in a constant state of che- in a cheerful mood. That's not reality. James is neither talking about those things or have them in mind. He is acknowledging the extreme unhappiness that are experienced by believers. And at the same time, with no uh, perception or contradiction, James counsels its readers to rejoice in experiencing hardship. Joy is what must be grasped. If we want to go on, uh, James goes on to teach the redemption message. James now wants to go on to explain to you as readers What is the equation of the context in which you can discover biblical joy? It's a very simple equation. Watch this. He says, first there's going to be the trial. Then there's going to come the testing. And through the testing, you're going to learn perseverance. And when you come out of the, the trial and the testing and the perseverance, you as a Christian will mature spiritually. I'm going to help you with this thing. There are four components, as you see there, that James wants us to understand if we're to have this biblical joy. Uh, First, there's the trials. Say trials. Come on, say trials. Thank you. Pelomos in the Greek. James has in mind of the word of extreme trials and adversity in which his readers are experienced. With this meaning, this term, he uses in specific reference to trials of persecution. In 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, Dear friend, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for the trials that make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all of the world. Don't not, do not think that joy in its narrow context or range, it is meant to encompass every circumstances that we face in our lives. James is not asking us, as he says that we go through the trial, that we come up with some unworthy substitutes. What are you talking about, preacher? Here it is. 
James says that when you're going through the trial, I'm not asking you to be in denial. Say denial. He said it's clear from James' own recognition of suffering that he is not prescribing a mind game to keep oneself happy by denying the realities of the trial. The second thing he's saying is don't complain as you go through the testing. Because praying for deliverance during a trial is certainly appropriate. But doing it with a complaining spirit is far what James is prescribing for us. The goal is far too valuable for us to approach it with grumbling. Are you with me? The, the next thing he's saying, don't have self-pity. Continue in obedience to the Lord's commands. Helps us to be a part of perseverance. But doing it in self-pity, it is not worthy of the goal that James has in mind. In other words, obeying and thinking poor me is different from praying with pure joy. You, you're with me? And so the second part of the equation is the testing. Say testing. Testing, Dominique, don't Nemo, means, uh, it's an objective term that means genuine. It makes reference to the test to prove the genuineness of one's faith. But it also has a second component to it. It's also to give the believers something they don't possess yet. And so it's meant to develop you. So the biblical concept of testing, according to James, it reveals the genuineness of a person's faith. But James tells us, don't worry if you're not quite there yet. If you go through the process, you might have something you don't possess yet. This is why, for one to live by faith, the trials can be more than times for rejoicing. See, many of us today, uh, we don't know how to suffer with joy. All we can see in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our struggle, is our struggle and our pain. And what that does is leave God out of the equation. Can you do anything by your own strength? It is only when we learn to depend and to rely on God that we can begin to understand that even in the midst of the process, God can provide us an opportunity to rejoice in him. And so the third thing is perseverance. With this specific quality of faith, you will develop through the trials of testing James said, this is what's available for you, perseverance. This means that God will give you the ability to endure patiently. The Christian with this kind of quality faith does not give up praying even when the need continues for a long time. Listen, church, I know, look, I'm tired of praying for that girl. I didn't been on my knees more than one time trying to pray that God would move in her life and he would see, I would see the fruits of the change of her life and I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired and I'm giving up on that situation. That's not what James is calling us to do. He said, if you go through the testing of your faith, understanding that God has an opportunity for you to develop, then he will help you endure this thing. 
until you get to the place where you can have joy in your heart. That's mature faith. And secondly, it carries the ideal of discipline. The Christian with quality faith continues in discipline and obedience to Christ even when it requires us to hold on in the face of nothing. Steadfast faithfulness. The Christian with that kind of faith is not a part-time saint. They are full-time saint. Listen, the scripture says we can rejoice too when we run into problems of trials. Watch this. For we know that they help us develop endurance. The last component, maturity. After we've gone through the testing of our faith, we've gone through the trial, we've, we've gone through the testing, we're, we've learned how to persevere. The last thing that we have is maturity. Why would perseverance provide something so valuable for us? Because it talks about the stage of spiritual progress, that we may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. Perseverance turns out to be not the end itself, but rather the lifestyle in which a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ obtained maturity. Let me deepen your understanding here. When we're talking about a mature faith, you remember Abraham in the Bible. Him and his wife were waiting for a son for a long time. God finally blessed them with Isaac. And then all of a sudden, one day, God shows up and says to Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac in whom you love. And I want you to sacrifice him. And so what does Abraham do? He begins to collect the things he needs to build the altar to kill his son. And so they get to the place where God tells them to go. And they begin to head up to the mountain where Abraham's going to sacrifice his son. But watch what mature faith does. He turns back to the servants and said, me and the boy will be back. Because I have so much faith and confidence in God. I know this is a trial. I know this as a test. And all I've got to do is walk through it in obedience. And I will end up in the place where God will have me to be. Watch me. So here it is. He's built the altar. He said to himself that even if God allows me to kill this boy, I know he's going to resurrect him from the dead. That's mature faith. You know why? Because Abraham had never seen anything or anybody raised from the dead. Can you imagine? And so here it is. He raises his hand in obedience to God, understanding I'm in a test, understanding I'm developing my faith, understanding and expecting God to move at just the right time. And as he lowers his hand to slay his son, God said, hold up. I provided a ram in the bush. Time for rejoicing. <laughs> so James invites us to envision ourselves in a state of maturity. Watch this. Rid of jealousy, laziness, impulsiveness, impatience, and bitterness, and self-pity, and selfishness. 
that mars the wholeness of our fellowship with God and our fellow man, that keeps us from spiritual maturity. As we look at Jesus, this is interesting. As we look at Jesus' life on the earth, he was perfect, right? Come on, do you agree? Jesus was perfect, right? But you notice something about Jesus. He goes around crying all the time. He was always weeping. He was a man of sorrow. Do you know why? Because he was perfect. <laughs> Jesus was weeping in, and in sorrow, not for himself, but for his fellow believers and followers. He wanted them to understood what he already knew. That he had God with him and he'd never leave him nor forsake him. So even though Jesus was crying and he was sad, he never sunk into despair. So we are being called that as we become sensitive and mature in the faith, some of our trials might make us cry. Sometimes it comes with tears, but not tears of sorrow that we sink into despair or hopelessness. See, crying and weeping doesn't come after the sorrow. It comes during the process. It doesn't come after being uncomfortable. It comes during the process. Weeping should drive us to joy, and it should enhance joy because joy enables us actually to feel the grief of others and not sink into our own despair. In other words, your faith is finally mature. You are finally emotionally healthy. Listen, I started out. Come on, Stacy. I started out by asking a question this morning. And it's a question that only you can answer. In this place, before God. Do you, this is personal, thirst for righteousness. Thirst. Think of a man in the desert with no water source. Can you imagine his thirst for water? Do you have that kind of of thirst like the man in the desert I want water so bad it don't matter how far I got to walk it don't matter what I've got to go through I got to get this drink of water that's what righteousness is no matter what you have to go through, no matter what you're going to do, because my goal is righteousness, I'm willing to go through the test. Do you fully long to be the person that God desires you to be? If so, then now you have full reason to consider Whatever it is you're going through, pure joy. 
Because now I'm not just looking at the trials. But I'm looking for an opportunity for God to develop my faith. I got to walk through the fire. I got to go through the flood. (laughs) But I can come out the other side like pure gold. Whatever trials you face of any kind, we have to learn the trials can be opportunities for testing. To develop you in perseverance. And when it's finished work will leave you mature in Christ. And for those who set their hearts on becoming Christ-like, why isn't this a reason for pure joy? Ah, as the band comes, <laughs> we bless your name, oh God. The doors of the church are open as always. The invitation is being extended. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ in the pardons of your sin, you can come and accept him. And he said in the word, I will no ways cast you out. If you desire to be all that God has called you to be, You have to humble yourself before him. And Lord said, I heard the preacher. (laughs) He said, this testing has come to prove the genuineness of my faith. How much do I trust you when I don't understand? Doesn't the Bible say, don't lean to your own, lean not to your own understanding? Right? In all of your ways, acknowledge him and what he said happened. He shall direct your path. 